Well, good morning. It is good to be together again this morning. Week two, back together after the hurricane. Would you pray with me this morning as we begin? Father God, we are thankful. Uh, We are reminded that today is the day that you have made, that you are good, that you bring mercies every morning, and that this is the day that you have prepared for us for our good, to learn more about you, to grow closer to you through your word. I pray that you will work this morning, that you would open our eyes to see how amazing you are, and that we would be amazed at you and be filled to overflowing and share your goodness, your gospel with others this week. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. What happens after we sin? What do we do after we sin? What does God do after we sin? So you remember that in the Bible, sin is defined as anything that falls short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. So a common definition would be anything we say, think, or do that is disobedient to God or that doesn't line up with God's character. So as we look at the Bible, the Bible presents this as a really important question to us. Sometimes if we're just going through life, we have the tendency to downplay the issue of sin or uh, downplay our mistakes and just try to brush it off and move on and try to do better. But when we read the Bible, we see a different perspective that sin is a major issue to God. And so this is what our passage this morning talks about. As we've been studying through the life of Abraham, you remember he's had his ups and downs. He's had the promise of God come to him that he will be made into a great nation and all the kingdoms of the world will be blessed through him. And in the last chapter, we just saw in Genesis 16 that Abraham, he was impatient. He didn't wait on God. He disobeyed God. And so this morning, as we pick up in Genesis 17, we see that God comes to Abraham. This is the next portion of the text. After he has sinned, how does God react? How does Abraham react? What happens next in his life? So this is our passage this morning. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to read with me. Genesis 17, verses 1 through 14. Genesis 17, verses 1 through 14. The word of the Lord says this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant 
to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the lands of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall circumcise in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout their generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any circumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So we see this morning that God comes to Abraham. And in this first verse, as God is responding to Abraham, we see God reveal himself in a certain way. He says, I am God Almighty. Or some versions might say, El Shaddai. That is the word God Almighty. That's the Hebrew, El Shaddai. And this is the first time in the Bible that this name of God has appeared. It means God Almighty. And so God comes and reveals himself in this way. And it's not insignificant that right after Abraham has sinned, has fallen short, that God comes and says, I am God Almighty. So we think about this. Abram and Sarai had really they had doubted God, we saw last week. They had doubted that God could do what he said, what he had promised. They thought they were too old to have children, so they figured that God must have been meaning to do that another way. And so Abram and Sarai had this plan with Hagar, and they had a child named Ishmael. And so right after this, as they sinned, as it led to conflict, God comes, and one commentator put it like this, that Abraham had tried everything he could in his own strength and understood that he is powerless. And that is when God came and revealed himself as El Shaddai, God Almighty, God who is powerful to do anything. So no matter how impossible God's promises had seemed to Abraham, no matter how impossible, God is able to bring them to pass. He is God Almighty. And that is what God is saying to Abraham in this passage. Do you remember this morning that God is Almighty? That He can do anything. He is God. He is more powerful than we can imagine. More powerful than anything else in the world. He merely speaks words and the universe is formed. The stars in the sky, the mountains are formed out of the earth. Everything is put exactly how it is meant to be. Life is created by his very word. He is almighty, that there is nothing that is not exactly according to his plan and playing out according to his plan, regardless of pandemics or hurricanes or elections or anything else that 
might make us think that things are chaotic, we're out of control. God is still almighty. He is still and always has been and always will be El Shaddai, the God who is able, the God who is in control, the one who is almighty. And so this is what Abram needed to hear after he had doubted God's power, his his ability to make this promise. Abram needed to hear this, that God was able. He needed to be reaffirmed in this. And God is telling him, remember who I am. Trust that I am able, that you don't have to try to manufacture these results. I can do it. I can bring this about. God is saying to Abram, trust me, believe me that I will make this happen. You don't have to worry about accomplishing a quota of good works in order to bring this about. You just have to believe, and he will do it. That's what God is saying. This is, this is really what faith is. We see that throughout the Bible, we see the same pattern where God will make astounding promises. It's pretty astounding for God to make a promise to Abram, who's in this chapter 99 years old, that he will have not only just one child, but from this child will come multitudes as numerous as the stars in the heaven and the sands by the sea. That's a pretty astounding promise. But we see other promises like that throughout the Bible. We think of how in Romans 8, God promises that for Christians, he will work everything together for their good. That's an incredible promise that everything that is happening in your life, if you, ever, if you are a Christian, is for your ultimate good. That's an incredible promise. We can't make that happen. We try sometimes to make sure that everything that's happening around us is working out for our benefit, for our good, but we can't make that happen. But God says, no, that's what I'm actually doing. Another promise would be the promise of salvation, that we as sinners, as people who have sinned against the holy God, who are separated from him, rightfully because of our sin, because of our lack of holiness, that he would come and die in our place and forgive us, promise to forgive us, promise to give us his righteousness and unite us to himself so that we will live forever with him. That's an incredible promise, an astounding promise, really. Sometimes we lose the amazement of it because we hear it so many times at church. But when we step back and we think about the most incredible promises. That is the most incredible promise that people who are not God, who fall short of God's glory, can dwell forever in the presence of a holy God. God makes those astounding promises. And just like he says to Abraham, you don't have to work to make those promises happen. It's not dependent on you. Remember that I am all-powerful in the same way all of these promises in the Bible. He reminds us, just have faith that I will do them, that this is who I am. I am working these out. You don't have to work towards them to manufacture those results, to bring about your own salvation, but I am doing it. I will work it. And so God is saying that to Abram. He's reminding him, this is where you have fallen short. You have forgot to trust me. You forgot who I am. So he's correcting him. He's admonishing him. And then he says, this is who I am. Believe. So 
that begs the question, if God is telling Abraham to believe, to not try to manufacture these results, but to simply believe that he is almighty and he will do it, does that mean that it doesn't matter what Abraham does? He can do whatever because God has promised to make this covenant, to make these things happen. Should Abram, if God is in control over all things, should he just let go and let God? Is that what God is saying here? The answer is no. Uh, that for, First off, that phrase, let go and let God, is just lacking. Um, I've probably said it before. You've probably said it before. It's really just not the most helpful, though. After all, God is almighty. He doesn't need us to let go in order to do something. This passage reminds us that he is almighty. But also, trusting in God doesn't mean that we don't have responsibilities. It's not an either-or. We trust God, and so we're not going to do anything. No, it's both. We trust God, and we obey him, and we follow him. And that's what is being said here. We saw this even last week. The idea of waiting on God means that we continue to obey him while we are waiting. And so Abram is supposed to believe God, but then God also says, live in a certain way. What does he say here? Walk before me and be blameless. So believe that I'm all-powerful. Believe that I am God Almighty and walk before me and be blameless. That phrase, walk before me, when, when people have studied it and gone back and looked at what it meant in the context and the culture, it essentially means someone who is acting as a representative. If you're walking before God, it means you're acting as a representative of God to the world around you. You're walking before him almost as an ambassador, we think in those terms in America, an ambassador to a foreign kingdom, right? You are representing God. You are supposed to represent what he is about, what he is like to the watching world. God is telling him, trust me, believe in me, and live this way. Obey me, follow me, display what I am like to the world around me. God's saying, instead of trying to manufacture results, trust that I will make it happen and focus on obeying me and living a pure life just like I am, pure and blameless. So obedience is required. Obedience is required of Abraham in this relationship. Disobedience just like we started out thinking about what happens when we sin, disobedience and sin isn't just something that God brushes off like it's no big deal. God doesn't say that it's not bad, you tried, you just made a mistake, you'll do better next time, just keep working on it. That's not what God says to Abraham. He emphatically makes clear that obedience is essential. He comes and says, I am God Almighty, this is what you need to be doing. You need to obey. You need to walk blamelessly before me. This is what's required for a relationship with God, is obedience. And it's a reminder, really, that just in the case, just like in the case of Abraham, we need, I'll say it again because some of you weren't here last week, moving our service to 930 means we have our Sunday school bells. So don't get thrown off. It'll happen one more time in about 
five minutes or so. Um, but anyways, when we remember the life of Abraham that he needed to obey, God says, you need to obey to be in this relationship with me. It's a reminder to us that we're just like Abraham and we disobey. So how can we be in a relationship with God if obedience is required? We also have to obey, so how can we be in this relationship? It reminds us that we need someone to obey for us. We need someone to obey for us. And that really reminds us that Abraham is not the perfect person who is bringing us into a relationship with God. He was not able to keep the covenant perfectly. It points us forward to Jesus, the person who would be able to perfectly obey God because he was God. He was perfectly God and perfectly man. And he obeyed God. He fulfilled the requirements of a covenant relationship with God so that he was able to live this life and offer us forgiveness, offer us his righteousness, commit it to us so that now we, even though we disobey, can be in this relationship with him because we have received the righteousness, the perfection of Jesus. We've been credited with it. And so a relationship with God requires us to obey. We fail at obeying. We need someone to obey for us. Jesus obeys and credits us with his righteousness. And because we're united with Jesus and given his righteousness, God views us as righteous, and we have a relationship with him. So after Abraham sins, God comes to him. He corrects him, essentially. He's saying, you've forgotten who I am. You've disobeyed. You need to obey. You need to walk blamelessly. But that's not the only way that God responds after Abraham sins. It's a reminder to me as a parent, I think of parenting as God is a father. When when a child, when my children disobey, I have to come and I have to correct them. This is not how you're supposed to act, right? You have to tell them what they're doing wrong. You have to correct them. But that's not all that God does. As a father, as a father correcting his children, God also reaffirms the relationship with Abraham here. He also shows him that this relationship is not broken just because you have sinned. You haven't messed it up beyond repair. You haven't ruined it. I'm not going to leave you and forsake you or cast you out of the garden. But I am still committed in this relationship to you. And really, God gives two ways in this chapter that he reassures Abram of this relationship. The first is he renames Abraham. And the second is he gives him the sign of circumcision. So as God is reaffirming this relationship, first he says, you are no longer to be called Abram, but Abraham, verse 5. And Abraham means a father of multitudes. You remember that is the promise that God had promised that he would make Abram into a great nation, into a great people, a multitude. And here God is saying, yes, you have sinned. Yes, you have failed. But my plan, my purpose with you hasn't got derailed. It's not over. I am still in this and you will still be the father of a multitude. This is who you are. It's your identity now. 
It's your very name, Abraham. God is reassuring him that, yes, you have sinned, but I have not left you. And so this relationship still stands. And then God gives him the sign of circumcision in a similar way. The circumcision is a physical sign that something has changed, that this is who you are. Things don't go back to how they were. This is everlasting. This covenant is everlasting with you. A little background because circumcision in the Bible is significant. When God makes this covenant with Abraham and gives him the sign of circumcision, a couple things to notice. One, God had already made the relationship and then, then he gave him the sign of circumcision. Right, So circumcision didn't come first. It wasn't like good works or you have to do this in order to be saved. No, this was something that came after. And then also, circumcision was something that was around before Abraham. And it's something that both Abraham and the people of Israel would have been familiar with because it was something that was practiced in Egypt where both Abraham had been and the people of Israel had come out of. And it's very interesting because in Egypt, not everyone was circumcised, but it was something that was a a rite of passage, so to speak, for priests. This is what happened when they were initiating priests. They would be circumcised. And so Abraham and even the children of Israel, as they're reading this, remember Moses wrote this book and the children of Israel would have been the first readers of it. They would have had that in the back of their mind. They would have known this is what circumcision was here. And so if God is giving this to us, it also means that God's viewing us as his priests, his representatives to the world. He would have had that background. He would have known that this means that I am now serving God as as a representative, again, that idea of walking before me, as being an ambassador, showing people what it means to be in a relationship with God. And so God is saying, no, I haven't left you. This is who you are. This is still your role. It is still your role to be in this relationship with me, to show the world what it means to be in a relationship with me. And so God, even after sin happens with Abraham, he corrects him. But he also reaffirms the relationship. He hasn't ruined it. He's not going anywhere. God's promises are still intact. Nothing can change Abraham's status. Not even disobedience can separate him from the relationship. So if you've been listening carefully, you might have picked up on this. How can something be dependent on obedience? I said that. Obedience is required for a relationship. In other words, it's a condition. We see that in verse 2, right? God says in verse 1, walk before me and be blameless. And then that word in verse 2, that I may make a covenant between me and you. So that's a condition. Obey, walk before me, be blameless, that this covenant may happen. How can something be conditional, be a requirement? And at the same time, how can God say, this is unconditional, doesn't matter if you have disobeyed because I am still going to do this with you. How can those things be kept together? How can God say one and in the same passage say the other that I will do this? I have made you this. Even though he says it's also dependent. How does that work together? Well, 
if we're thinking that it's all dependent on Abraham, then it's an issue. Then it is a contradiction. But when we remember that God is also in this relationship and that back in chapter 15, God has taken it upon himself to be responsible so that even if Abraham disobeys, Abraham won't pay the punishment for that. But God is the one who said that he will make sure, he will pay the punishment for that. He will make sure this happens. If Abram's the only one who's responsible, then it won't work. But if God is, when we read through the Bible, we see that God is responsible, that Jesus is the one who makes this work, so that he has obeyed as a substitute in Abraham's place, so that even if Abraham or even if we disobey, God still credits Jesus' obedience to us, that Jesus fulfills the conditions that we cannot, and thus we can receive the unconditional promises of this covenant. And so that really that helps us understand what our relationship with God is like right now. God forgives us. He saves us from the punishment that our sins deserve. He changes us and enters into a relationship with us. And he tells us how we're supposed to live in this relationship. He tells us that we must obey. We need to obey. Obedience is the way of the Christian life. Put off sin. Make war against sin. Put on righteousness. We remember these phrases from the New Testament. But God also guarantees that we will be saved. Because what makes us righteous in his eyes is not our obedience, but is Jesus' obedience that has been gifted to us, has been done on our behalf. And so our identity is not wrapped up in who we are or what we do, but our identity has been forever changed and is tied to Jesus and his righteousness so that now we are eternally children of God and part of the kingdom of God. So this is what God comes and says to us. After, after we sin, God does these same things. He, he corrects us. He admonishes us through his word. He reminds us that we have forgotten to remember who he is and trust who he is and his character and his nature. But he also comforts us as well as correcting us. He comforts us and reminds us that I am a forgiving God. And I will maintain this relationship with you. I'm a father to you. And I will be eternally a father to you. This is our great God. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we are thankful that you are God Almighty. God, how our thinking would change sometimes, how our lives would change if we would remember that more often. I think we would probably be anxious less. We would worry less. We would believe how many great things you could do because you are able. And we would pray for big things because we know you are able. God, I pray that we would remember it more, that it would be ingrained in us how you are God Almighty. God, thank you that you correct us in our sin. You tell us to obey. And that we need that guidance, we need that direction, that you give us your commands. But Lord, thank you that you also give us your forgiveness. 
and your mercy and that you continually, you don't cast us out, but you correct us as a father and continue to train us in righteousness until one day we see you and are made perfect like you and are live and are able to live forever with you. God, we look forward to that day. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is our time of response. If you um, if you have heard this message, and we know that God works through his word, that his word does not return void, that we need to be doers of his word and not hearers only. And so we use this time to respond in whatever way we need to, to what God has been telling us. So if you need to pray and ask forgiveness because you have sinned and God's corrected you in something, or if you need to pray and thank God and praise God that he is still in that relationship, he hasn't cast you off. Uh, Or if you need to talk about how to enter into that kind of a relationship with this father who is correcting, but who's also loving and is there. Or if you want to talk about what it means to join a part of the church family. Um, I'll be here. I'll be happy to pray with you or talk with you, or you can pray where you're at, or you can sing in response. But let's use this time to respond to God this morning. Would you stand as we sing? Our God, our healthy nature's past, our hope for years to come. Our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. Under the shadow of thy throne, thy saints have dwelt Sufficient is thine arm alone, and our defense is sure. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Don't forget, we have our offering at the back right now. And um, if you need any water, we still have cases of water in the fellowship hall. And I got an update this morning that they're bringing supplies for the roof tomorrow, and they're going to roof it on Tuesday. So praise the Lord for that. Um, But you are sent out and dismissed this morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. Amen.